Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 3. Uh, yeah. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us, let, let us what them? Yeah, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching um, or her teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, we're thankful for your word tonight and and we pray in Jesus' name that you would, you would activate every single spiritual gift. And we know that that means that we have to be part of the process. God, we can't be satisfied with allowing the gifts to lie dormant. We, we, can't, uh, we can't choose to live a life of fruitlessness. God, we... We have to take steps of faith. We have to risk. We've got to step out and be willing to trust you with the unknown. And so, God, please, I pray that there would be a compelling conviction through the power of your spirit and your word tonight that would lead all of us to that place in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> When everyone uses their spiritual gifts, the body builds itself. When everyone uses, and I will tell you guys, I did say this, I think, last week. I'm, I'm going to say things uh, again that I've already said, and I think it's important sometimes with teaching to do that because, you know, sometimes it takes time. Sometimes we need to hear it a bunch of times. And so, you know, even though it may feel redundant, you've heard this before, I do want to say it again. When everyone uses their spiritual gifts, the body builds itself. It builds itself up. You know, um, if you go to the gym, how many of you are gym rats? Raise your hand. <clears throat> okay, I didn't raise my hand. <laughs> you know that, that for the people that are gym rats, I mean, they're, they are working every muscle. Every muscle. My, our youngest son, he, well, and Hannah, both Hannah and Levi are gym rats. They work every muscle. When Levi flexes, I mean, there's, it's popping here and popping there. And I'm like, I didn't know there was a muscle there. You know, there's just this, that you get jacked your whole body because you're focused on every single muscle. The body's building itself. And that's what happens when every person in the church is using their spiritual gifts. You know, it is to the detriment of any local church for just a few people or a percentage of people to be using their gifts. You can see how narrow the work of God would be in that church. And so, 
My point is this. If Awaken Las Vegas is going to be jacked, you know what I'm saying? I mean, from a spiritual point of view, like if we're going to be all ripped with muscles popping out, that means everybody here needs to be using their spiritual gifts. These are seven serving gifts. Some people have called them motivational gifts. And Paul's simple point here, and of course you remember, these are, these are gifts that are intended to build up the body. Every gift is for the edification of the body. These are serving gifts that build up the body, not a comprehensive list. Some people say, well, you know, these are the seven motivational gifts and everyone has one. Everyone has one of these gifts. And I understand why eminent teachers like Chuck Swindoll land in that place, but there just doesn't seem to me to be the terminology laid out in the context that allows us to come to the conclusion that these are motivational gifts one for one, you know, one person having one. I think that he's using these seven as an example, but it certainly isn't limited to these seven. You say, well, where do we find the other ones? 1 Corinthians 12, 14, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, Romans chapter 12. All of the gifts as they're used, what they do is they build up the body. And Paul's point is this, like you for sure can't walk away from these verses and not get this. Paul's point is this, just do it. I hate to sound like a Nike ad right now, but Paul's point is this, just do it or just use it. Like, come on, get up off the couch, put down the bonbons, turn the television off, you know, tune out from the from the soap operas, and tune into what God wants to do. This is the exhortation that Paul is making. And you know, the, the way he phrases each one of these gifts, you know that that is the point that he is driving home. So if you're in the gathering of God's people in Rome, you're listening, right, and it's being read, and you know as you're sitting there taking it in that the Spirit of God is saying, hey, if you got this gift, then use that gift. And if you've got that gift, then use that gift. And you know, what holds us back so often in the use of our gifts is we're just afraid. We're just afraid. We may not necessarily know what our gift is or our gifts are. And so we are concerned that we might step out the wrong way. We might in, in, get involved in a ministry that might not be the the best ministry for us. We may fall flat on our face. We may look like a total idiot. Um, and I just say that to you tonight to say this. This is a safe place for you to learn your spiritual gift. This is, this, the church is meant to be, and not that I was intending on talking about this tonight, but sometimes you know the church has become so sophisticated and so professional and so excellent and so dialed in that sometimes you look at what's done and you think, man, it is so like up here and I'm so down here that I can't even span that gap. I can't span that chasm. And so you feel like you can't use your gift because things have become so sophisticated. And, and there is a level of sophistication or excellence because we want to do all things in excellence for God, right? He deserves it and people like it. But... But in saying that, this is the place, the local church is the place where you can step out. You can step out in faith. 
You can fall on your face. You can make a mistake. You can say the wrong thing. For goodness sakes, I just described my life serving God, right? I mean, I have. I've, I've, I've stepped in it. I've stepped on it. I've run over it. I've said the wrong thing. I've fallen on my face. I've made an idiot out of myself in front of thousands of people, like right now. No, I'm just kidding. But all of that just to say, God's, God is gracious. And this is a community filled with the grace of God. Are you with me tonight? So, so, so maybe... You know, maybe you're in that spot, that spot where, you know, those are the fears that you have had. And I say this in love uh, with the gift of exhortation. Get over it. Get over it. There are three gifts we're going to talk about tonight. We have already talked about four in the list of these seven. You can see that uh, we have contributing or giving, leading, and then mercy. So the three gifts we're going to talk tonight about that we're going to talk about tonight are giving and leading and mercy. And I just want to say this, like all of the gifts, these gifts work together. Like all of the gifts. Remember, no spiritual gift is a silo. No spirit, spiritual gift operates in a way that it's disconnected from the other spiritual gifts. The illustration is a body. The body's tied together by ligaments and tendons. Each spiritual gift represents one part of the body, and you know the body is locked together by ligaments and tendons and muscles and tissue. And so when one part of the body moves, the rest of the body is affected or the rest of the body is moving. I'm just simply saying to you that our gifts don't operate in a silo. They're interconnected to one another. For, in, for instance, there are three gifts tonight, like I said, giving, leading, and mercy. Giving, when people give, the church and the efforts of the church and the people in the church are supported. When people are exercising their, their unique gift of giving, we'll, we'll break this down in just a minute, what happens is the people in the church and the efforts in the church are supported. When people are operating in the gift of leadership, the mission of the church moves forward. So you have a church that's supported because people are operating in generosity. You have a church that's moving forward because people are operating in their gift of leadership. And then mercy means that we are, that, that we are functioning as a church, that we're moving forward as a church with the right heart and with the right culture. And so we're not only supported and we're not only advancing, but we're advancing in the right way. Our heart is right and our culture is right. So the first gift tonight, gen generosity or, or giving, um, in the English Standard Version, it's contributing. Uh, giving simply means this, it is, it is generosity. And remember, generosity is a way of life for the follower of Christ. Amen? Generosity is a way of life for the follower of Christ. You know, generosity is a disposition, not a duty. Generosity is a disposition, not a duty. It's an offering, not an obligation. I'm saying to you tonight that when it comes to the issue of giving, and boy, it gets quiet in here when I talk about this, but we're talking about worship. We're talking about living out the heart of God. In other words, we 
live generously because he has been generous to us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like there's a transformation. Before you were a Christian, you might have been ultra stingy. You know, you were, you were tight with your resources. And then when God lavished his love upon you, when your cup was filled to overflowing, when you got not drips of mercy and grace and kindness from God, but you got an overflow, a waterfall, when you experience the forgiveness of God day after day, event after event, when God picks you up after you've fallen on your face for the umpteenth time and you ex experience that overwhelming generosity of God, you know, as he supplies for all your needs according to the riches that are in Christ Jesus, like you can't be a tightwad after that. You know what I'm saying? You, you, can't be, you can't be stingy and experience the generosity of God because the generosity of God makes your hands and heart go open, right? I mean, you bring it to him. I'll pause for the praise from the house of God, right? You, you start living like this. And start, instead of living like this and like this, you start going like this because... He has been so good. He's been so generous. He's proved himself time and time again. We don't have to live like this because, because when we live like this, he takes care of everything. And, you know, we live generously out of a, a heart of love for God and for others because our values have changed. We understand that there is a difference between the temporal and the eternal, and we've learned to value the eternal and because we value the eternal, our mission, our mission has changed. You know that in the culture that we live in, the one who accumulates the most has the greatest value. But that's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. Our value is not correlated to our possessions. Our value is correlated to the cross of Christ. We're valued because we belong to Jesus. And so, so because we've been set free from that lie, we've been set free from that, that narrative that is total nonsense that our culture conveys over and over and over again, we are able to engage in the mission of God. And so, so for the Christian, it's like, hey, the new car doesn't matter, and the new house doesn't matter, and the new clothes don't matter. What matters is people getting born again. And so we will prioritize our generosity to see people one into the kingdom of God. So biblical generosity, remember, um, from the book of Genesis all the way through the New Testament, it always begins at 10%. It's a tithe. You know, that's a, that is a standard guidance from the word of God that predates the law. Under the new covenant, um, it's so much more. Because the new covenant is a covenant of grace. And so we're not limited. We thank God for the guidance of the 10%, but we can also thank God in saying, hey, we're not limited just to 10%. We can give so much more, and we do so because the grace of God has been given so generously to us. 10% may sound like a lot to you. Um, it is, if, if you're on that track where you're like, man, I want to get to that place, start with three, work to five, go to seven, get to 10, go to, go to 20, and you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. The Greek word is matadidomai. Say it with me tonight. Matadidomai. Say it one more time. 
If you're pregnant tonight, it might be a great name for your kid. It means to give over. It means to share. It means to impart. This spiritual gift gives the capacity and desire to serve God by giving your material resources far beyond the tithe to do God's work. So I'm saying to you tonight, all Christians are called to be generous. Some have the gift of giving, and it is a very special gift that enables a person to have the capacity, the desire to serve God in such a way that they give their material resources far beyond the tithe to do the work of God. This person gives without the desire or the need for public recognition. This, it comes out of the heart. The last thing this person ever wants, in fact, you know, oftentimes the people who are the most generous are the most unsuspecting. They're the most unsuspecting because they're not the ones blowing their trumpet. They're not the ones jangling their coins. They're not the one, you know, dumping the wad of cash into the offering bag. Like they're looking for ways to give anonymously because everything that they do is for the glory of God. Of God. And in fact, this is such a big deal to them that oftentimes they can disapprove of the people who give with the wrong motivation. They are all about furthering the work of God, and they have a strong burden to meet real needs. They're moved by compassion when needs are presented. They're the ones who get behind the mission of the local church. They are anchoring the efforts of the local church, and there's a great sense of fulfillment and joy when they see what God does through the local body of believers. That is their place of joy. They're not looking to be in the front. They're not looking to be on the front page. They're not looking to have their name uh, carved into the side of a building. Their joy comes when they see the work of God advance through the way that they support they are the opposite of the rich young ruler. They're the opposite of the rich young ruler who was so tied to his stuff, he wouldn't let it go even as he stood before the king of kings and the lord of lords. Even as the pathway to eternal life is, was presented before him, this, this person who has the gift of giving lives on the opposite side of those tracks. And this isn't just for the wealthy. Like, make no mistake about it. God gives a gift of giving to those who are wealthy, but then also to those who have a meager living. God's not looking at just wealthy people to have the gift of giving because you know it's not about being wealthy, it's about living sacrificially. I mean, it may be, and I don't know this necessarily for sure, but it may be that the widow who gave her mites in and on the Temple Mount, she may have been demonstrating a gift of giving, but it was sacrificial giving. The pitfall or the weakness of this particular gift is that the person who has it can have a critical spirit of those who have material abundance but don't give as they do. They can be proud about the amount that they've given if they're walking in the flesh. Um, remember, if you have this gift, that God has called everyone to give, but not everyone to give 
as you give. And the possibilities are endless. Church planting, missions, building projects, large-scale opportunities. These people are spontaneous in their giving, so you know a, a need may emerge, and they're led by the Spirit of God. For them, for sure, it's a matter of prayer and really digging into the heart of God, but they're willing to give on a moment's notice as the Spirit of God is moving them because they're hypersensitive to the needs of others. And we've seen the gift of giving here so many times in so many different ways. You know, in, in, in big things like individuals uh, sponsoring and subsidizing major events just through their giving, uh, like crusades and things like that. Uh, we've seen people sell their homes to minister to people who are stricken with leprosy. Uh, we see people giving uh, sacrificially out of the sale of a home or maybe the sale of a business and using those resources to fund ministry opportunities. I think now, especially as, you know, times are tied in inflation, you know, we all feel the pinch of inflation. Sometimes the tendency or the temptation is to kind of sock it away and to tighten things up a little bit. And, and you know, when we tighten up, oftentimes the first place that gets tightened is our generosity. Um, and I would just say to you, it's in the hard times that we need to lean in more heartily to being generous. Because you know God's not like, hey, listen, you know what? I know times are tight, and so why don't you step back in faith? Why don't you just kind of put the advancement of the kingdom on pause? We'll get through this little mini recession and this inflation that we're dealing with. And I know eggs are really expensive. And because of that, we're just going to kind of pull back and maybe retreat a little bit on the advancement of the kingdom. That's not the way that God works. Like the advancement of the kingdom has no direct correlation to the adversity financially of the society or the culture. The early church was comprised of poor people, and they advanced the kingdom of God in an exponential rate like no one's ever seen. So I'm just saying, if it can happen then, it can happen now. Are you with me? Second Corinthians 9.10, the Bible says this, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And, and so what Paul is saying, Paul is saying, man, the more... The more seed you sow, you guys with me? The more seed you sow, the one who supplies the seed is going to fill the bag more so that you can sow more. And then you experience the beauty of the harvest of righteousness in your life. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. It's a great verse. The second gift tonight is leading. Uh, the Greek word is proistomai, and uh, this particular word means, well, this particular gift is God's spiritual gifting that uniquely enables a person to lead in such a Christ-like way that others follow. To lead in such a Christ-like way that Christ is glorified and the mission of the church is advanced. And so when we talk about the gift, the spiritual gift of leading, we're not just talking about people who have that innate capacity. You know there are people who are just amazing leaders. 
and they're not born again, they're not saved, but they seem to have this just innate capacity. Or there are others who, over the course of time, have really learned how to lead and how to lead well. We're not talking about that. Uh, we're talking, and I'm not saying tonight that as a gifted leader, you can't learn and grow because you can. But we're talking about a spiritual gift. We're talking about leading in such a way that you emulate, that you em which is a word, by the way, but it's not the word I want to use, that you emulate Christ-like leadership. Like you lead in a way that looks like how Jesus led. When someone's operating in the spiritual gift of leadership, um, you know that when someone has a spiritual position of authority and they lead like a bully or they lead like a tyrant or they lead like a dictator, that is not the, that is not the spiritual gift of leadership. Because the spiritual gift of leadership has a thumbprint it has a thumbprint, and the thumbprint is the thumbprint of God. It bears the reflection of the life of Christ. You, for a person who has this gift, you should be able to look at the gospel accounts, you should be able to see how Christ led, and you should see uh, a lifestyle that is similar, a way of leading that is similar to the leadership of Jesus. Of course, we're all growing in that. When the person with this gift is operating this in this gift they're not glorified they're not lifted up you know they're not exalted they're not set on the pedestal they're not a celebrity their name's not in lights they're not seeking to draw attention to themselves when a person's operating in this spiritual gift jesus is the one who gets the glory he is the one who is seen as the celebrity he is the one whose name is in lights because the person operating in this gift would probably rather be behind the scenes anyway. They're thinking all along, Lord, you know what? I don't want to touch your glory. You've put me out front. I'm the tip of the spear, but I pray that I would be transparent, see-through, so that people only see you. When a person, a man or a woman, is operating in this gift, Christ is glorified. And then the third thing is this, the mission of the church is advanced. So remember, we're talking about a spiritual gift, and God gives sp spiritual gifts so that the body of Christ, the body of Christ is strengthened. Remember, brothers and sisters, we need good godly leadership, right? We need good godly leadership. Do you pray for your leaders? You pray for your leaders? You pray... Pray that God, please, in Jesus' name, pray for your leaders. Please pray for us. Pray for the, the men and women who've been called to lead this church and, and who are seeking the face of God and pleading God for his direction and his provision and his guidance, who are asking God to give them wisdom to make the right decisions, who bear the, the weight, and I mean weight in a good sense, but leadership, there's a weight that comes with leading the people of God because you understand the gravity of what you do and how it impacts people's lives. You understand that this isn't just about you. You are representing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that, you know, that comes with great gravity. So I do want to encourage you to be praying for, for all of us who are leading. But God gives this gift because the people of God need to be led. We're sheep. We're sheep, and you know sheep are, I mean, you know, we're not the sharpest tack in the box. 
Sheep get themselves in trouble. Sheep fall into ditches. Sheep wander off. And they, they cruise off on their own. When they're really fat, when they've been feeding a lot on the word and not applying it to their lives, they've, they've they fall over and they roll onto their backs and their little legs kick up and down and they can't get themselves up. And so the leader, the under shepherd's got to come along and say, hey, you sweet little fat sheep, come on. You know, let's roll, let's roll you over. Let's get you up out of the ditch. Let's mend that broken leg that you got because you know you made your way through the fence and you got yourself in trouble. You surrounded yourself with a bunch of wolves <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the truth is this, we need good godly leadership in our lives because it helps keep us on track. This person can be a take charge person. They step in and lead in time of need. This person does not push themselves into a position or a role. They, they wait until God brings the opportunity to them. They wait until God brings the opportunity to them. They follow the example of Christ, and their leadership is intended to support the, the mission of the local church. They are, listen to me, a godly leader, a person who's operating in this spiritual gift, they are a tool for unity and not division. Right? They're a, they're a tool in the hand of God for unity and not division. Let me just say it again. They are a tool in the hand of God for unity and not division. When you see somebody who calls himself a leader, and maybe they've got a title, when you see somebody in the church who calls themselves a leader, and maybe they have a title or whatever, and division follows them, or they're actively dividing the people of God against one another, that is not the spiritual gift of leadership. And you have to ask yourself in the first place, how could God ever bless something like that? Even if they did have the gift, they certainly are not using it to build up the body of Christ. You know, maybe some of you are like, man, I, I think I'm a leader. I think that sounds like me, but how do I really know? And, and the final uh, thing would be this, look behind you, not right now, but, but you know, in a kind of a figurative sense, look behind you and examine whether anyone's following you or not. Like, do you have people, because if you're a leader, then, then by nature there will be people who will want to follow, who will want to learn, who will want to be discipled, you know, who will recognize the gift in your life, and they will fall in line. These people um, are dreamers. They're not afraid to attempt the impossible. They're goal-oriented. They're well-disciplined. They work well under pressure. They're oftentimes good motivators and not procrastinators, and they have a great ability, obviously, to get other people involved. The downside can be they can be perfectionists. <laughs> they can be perfectionists, and they can want things to get done their way, right? I'll tell you guys right now, I've learned, you know, I've, because I can be like this for sure. I've learned over the course of years, and this is going to sound really like an, like an unspiritual way to say this, there is more than one way to skin a cat. You know, when, when we're talking about leading and accomplishing the work of God, the work of God can get done in many different ways. It just, it doesn't have to be our way or the highway. 
These people struggle to admit when they're wrong, and oftentimes they don't like to take time to explain uh, how things should be done. They just expect people to get the job done. And I'll say that's a little convicting for me right now. Moving on. If, if this is you, if this is, I'm just being transparent with you all, right? Because this is an atmosphere of grace. Um, if this is you, you can lead outreaches, you can co-lead missions trips, you can lead on security team or prayer team or, or in the children's ministry, you can lead in LV Reach. Uh, you can lead teams of other servants to fulfill initiatives for the church. And let me just say, like, this is the direction our church is going. The direction our church is going is to equip people in the church for the work of the ministry, to identify people who are leaders and to raise them up and to give them an opportunity to lead. Like some of the ministries that we have, we're reshaping because sometimes our ministries can be oriented around one person, but it's so much better when you have a leadership team. When you have a team of people who are collectively praying, seeking God's face, discerning his will, identifying the things that need to be done, and then engaging other people in the effort. The encouragement here is to lead with zeal, to lead with energy, to lead with excitement, to not grow fatigued, to not be overburdened, to not be discouraged, to not give up in your leading, to press through the hardship. Listen to me because I'm telling you when you're on the front lines for the kingdom of God, there is an immeasurable amount of hardship. There is an immeasurable amount of adversity. You know, and I don't tell you guys. We don't sit here and say and talk about all of the adversity and difficulty that comes with leading, but I will tell you, suffice it to say, it is immense. It is immense. The spiritual battle in and of itself, you know, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with principalities and powers, because what we see on the outside, man, that's just the flesh. There is a whole spiritual world behind it all, and there are principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places seeking to undermine the work of God. And if you're leading, if you're in leadership, you battle against that. You can have a good day and get to the end of your day and think, why am I so wiped out? Well, you might be wiped out because, because you've been wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Because there have been traps that have been laid by the devil and you've got to be discerning about every single step that you take. Because you know if you step in a trap, you don't just go down. Everybody that's with you can go down as well. You know that serving the people of God is amazing, but you know what? The church is a wily bunch. You know what I'm talking about? But you're like, no, pastor, we're perfect. What'd you say? Absolutely. Absolutely, okay, yeah. We're perfect, pastor. We always do the right thing. We always have the right attitude. We always have the right motivation. You know, we never, we never shape the truth to, you know, manipulate 
people to get what we want done. There is no division. People never use their social media to stir up conflict. There's, there's never a situation where people are taking sides against other Christians. There's never t- t- turbulence and tumult over preferences and, and methodologies. You know, I say all of that to say, like, it is le- leadership in the church is not for the faint-hearted. And what the devil wants you to do is he wants you to throw in the towel. And the thing is this, sometimes he'll even use the people of God if they let themselves be tools. Sometimes he'll use the people of God to be the greatest discouragement in your life. And so I just want to encourage you, lead with zeal. Lead with zeal. Don't stop. Don't get discouraged. Don't give in. Don't throw in the towel. You might be going through a valley, but I'm telling you what, there's a mountaintop right around the corner that God's going to take you to. You might be going through a series of adversities, but you know God's got a blessing right around the corner that he's about to drop in your lap. I experienced that today. I experienced just the greatness of God. You know, the greatness of God in months of praying about a particular thing, and he brought it about in his perfect timing right when we needed it. Right when we needed it. And you know, when you're going through it, and, and you know, I, sorry, I'm like, I'm laboring this, but I'm, I'm almost done. But when you're, going, when you're going through it, it's easy for us to say, hey, listen, you know, Joseph, Joseph, I just did a bunch of devotions on, on Joseph. Joseph, man, you know, look, I'm, he, look what happened to him. I mean, he went through the difficulty and he stuck it out because of the providence and the sovereignty of God. And, and as he stuck it out, he got exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. And, you know, it's easy to read the story and to say those things because you know how it ends. But you don't know how your life ends. You don't know how your situation ends. And so when you're in the middle of it, it's like, I know theoretically, I know theologically, but right here in this darkness... Right here in this trial, right here when I feel like throwing the towel in, right here when I don't feel like I've got anybody and everyone's abandoned, you know, the the theory, the theoretical, even the theological isn't going to rescue you. You have to make a choice. You have to choose to trust. You have to say, God, you know what? I don't feel it. I don't see it. I can't even imagine it. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to anchor myself to you. I'm going to hold on, and I'm going to hold on tight. I'm going to hold on, and I'm going to hold on tight. Because you know what he does. He turns, he turns all of that mourning. He turns all of that mourning into dancing. He takes your sorrow, and he turns it into joy. All right? Mercy, last one. Alao. It means to feel empathy with others. This means that you enter into grief or happiness and show em- empathy. You enter into grief or happiness with other people and you show empathy, which is to feel with others, not just for others. It is to feel with others, not just for others. There is a big difference between saying to somebody, I feel bad for you and I feel bad with you. Mercy is that special gift where you enter in. You enter in. You weep with those who weep. You rejoice with those who rejoice. 
You're not just looking from the outside in a sympathetic way, feeling sorry or pity for someone. No, you are right next to them. You are right next to them. You are walking through it with them, even though it's not your trial, even though it's not your sorrow, even though it's not your situation. And you know what? It's a, it's a beautiful, special gift because the person who's suffering feels your suffering with them. And that is a game changer. That's a game changer. God pours a pipeline of mercy into your heart so that you can shower it on to people who have need. You have a special spiritual gift to identify with people and comfort them that's rooted in your own experience with God. So you have this ability to come alongside because God's showering his mercy into your life and you enter into the suffering of others. You are with them, you know, not just like standing apart from them. And it's all rooted in your own experience because you've experienced God in this regard. By the way, blessed are the merciful for they shall inherit the kingdom for they shall inherit the earth, right? Blessed are the merciful the merciful, like we're all called to be merciful. We're all called to express the mercies of God because we've experienced God's mercy. God, God suffered with us when his son died on the cross. God's not just, you know, some, some transcendent being that looks from afar. No, the incarnation brought God himself into our world. And not just into our world, but he stepped into he stepped into sin in this regard. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that through him we might become the righteousness of God. So when he hung on the cross, the, 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 the sin that we've committed was laid upon his shoulders, was placed upon him, even though he was without sin and was spotless. He entered in, and that was an act of mercy. And when we put our trust and faith in him, the full mercy of God is poured out into our life. That's what compels you. That's what motivates you. That's what drives you. You have this amazing gift from God that enables you to be a pipeline of mercy that flows from the heart of the Father. People love you because you love them. You're easy to talk to. You're responsive to people. You're a good listener. You're peaceable and agreeable. You bear the burden of others and you comfort them in their time of need. Your heart especially goes out to the poor, the aged, the ill, and the underprivileged. You love Lamentations 3.22 that says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him the pitfall is that you resent others who don't feel as deeply as you do in your weakness when you're in the flesh and not the spirit you can resent others because they just don't seem to get it because of your supernatural ability to show mercy some people will accuse you of enabling or being a softy or a compromiser however you make an excellent counselor you make an excellent counselor. Left untrained, you may hurt yourself by having the tendency of taking everyone's problem on your own shoulders. 
And you know in that spot, you become wounded, you become hurt, you become, you become the one who needs the healing and the help because you've just been burying it yourself instead of giving it over to God. Let me just say this, because you know the person who is constantly pouring themselves out and helping others and living in a place where they're with people, not just for from afar, that person for sure has a tendency to accumulate all of that suffering in an unhealthy way. And what you have to discipline yourself to do is at the end of the ministry opportunity or at the end of the day, you take the weight of all that you've been carrying and you place it upon the shoulders of Christ. Because there's only one Savior. There's only one whose shoulders are strong enough to bear the suffering and the grief of the people that you're ministering to. And so you have to be disciplined to hand that over to God. And you also have to be disciplined to make sure that rest is a consistent part of your rhythm. This is why he uses the word cheerfully. So when you're, when you're operating in the gift of mercy and you're taking, you're taking on the suffering of others, you know, the encouragement here is to do it with a cheerful heart. You know, the word is, I don't even know how to pronounce this. It's, it's the word that we get our English word hilarious from. So it means, you know, use that gift, exercise that gift with a good spirit, hilariously, gladly. Uh, we don't use this word, merrily. I don't even know why I put it in there, but you know what I'm talking about. Remember, the, the adversary will always seek to attack this very special gift. The possibilities are endless. Uh, you can be involved in chaplaincies and memorial services, obviously LV Reach, biblical guidance, if you're interested in that. Tony Stover is here tonight. I'm sure she'd love to talk to you. Hope Medical. I mean, I'm not even saying that you have to be a part of a ministry to exercise this gift. You can just be with the body of Christ. Like, you have this ability. You've got, like, radar you can see the person who's suffering and you beeline it to them and you are a source of encouragement and support. And I just want to say, don't stop using that gift. Don't stop using that gift. Maybe you have been overloaded and overwhelmed. Bear that burden over to God. Ask him to fill you with that new sense of cheerfulness and joy and step out in faith. I'm going to wrap up tonight by saying this. The gift of mercy is so important because it keeps our arms open to the, the hurting and the lost in our community, right? I mean, the, the, the generosity is great. Building buildings is great. Advancing, advancing uh, ministries is great. Leadership is great. But that tenderheartedness of the gift of mercy keeps us looking beyond are constructs. Because sometimes as Christians, you know there's a certain group of people we're willing to minister to, and there's a certain group of people that we're unwilling to minister to. And the gift of mercy always keeps us in check, and it reminds us that there is no partiality with God, that we should be stepping beyond the boundaries that the culture lays down for us, these false boundaries. Mercy compels us to step over that line and to meet people, whoever they are, whatever they look like, in whatever situation that they're in, however they fit on the spectrum of culture and society, whatever side they might be on in the culture war, 
Mercy compels us because we value the gospel and the ability that God had to pick our own lives up out of our own filth and mess. It was the mercy of God. And because we've been moved, right? You guys remember what your life was like before you met Jesus. And because God was so merciful, you are moved and compelled to meet people no matter what they look like, sound like, act like, you know that they're lost without Christ. Mercy compels us. Mercy compels us. May we be a church that is filled to overflowing with the mercy of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.